Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. Today we have with us on the shores of Lake Erie in the big 216, where yours truly started out himself in a very, um, uh, what's the word? It was, I'm, lo- I'm, I'm lacking a word, but you know, I, I, I started off, that's where I started my failures in life. But this guy, not so much. And he is a multifamily animal. He's a developer. And what's amazing is he's doing big developments in the coolest parts of Cleveland, uh, which years ago, that used to be an oxymoron cool in Cleveland. Today, it isn't. Uh, he's an investor, developer, entrepreneur, more than 15 years of experience, uh, founder of Realty Dynamics Equity Partners. Who is he? He's Augustino Pinto. Augustino, welcome to Street Smart Success. Hey, man. Thanks for inviting me. Greatly, greatly appreciate it. Really yeah. appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm super glad to have you here because, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before I hit the record and you were saying shit can be, uh, and I, I said, I don't swear on my podcast. I guess I lied. I, I just swore. <laughs> but, uh, th- but you're saying, hey, stuff could get boring. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. They can. But, but the thing is, is you're doing like, you're doing some different cool stuff, which is why I wanted to have you on the show. But before we yeah. get to the cool stuff you're doing now, Are you like I am? Are you a native of Cleveland or are you from somewhere else? No, I'm from somewhere else. I'm from a small city in Canada, of all places. And uh, uh, Windsor, Ontario, uh, right across from Detroit. And I had an itching to get out of that place ever since I was a kid. I wanted to get out. And uh, I I wanted big, big success. And I knew that I couldn't do it in Canada. So I got the hell out and went to the States. I think that's uh, America is still the place where dreams can come true if you're willing to work hard enough and bust your ass to get there. You know, that's really what it is, right? So that's why I came here. Can't do it in Canada. Can't do it anywhere else, really. Still, still the best game on the planet, right? So that's why I came here. So the United States is a, it's a big country. You know, the last time I checked, there were 50 states. I don't know how many cities. Why Cleveland? <laughs> that's a good question. So Back when I was working in corporate, I, was, I, did, I spent a lot of time in corporate. Even though I'd been doing uh, real estate for 15, more than 15 years, actually, I was still working a corporate job, still doing that. And uh, one thing about working at the executive ranks as a CIO, you tend to not hold those jobs for long periods of time. That usually the typical burnout rate for a chief information officer, that the top person who runs technology is two years. And... Um, here I am. I'm at the two year mark. The guy who hired me leaves the company. New guy comes in, hates my guts, riffs me, gets rid of me. Right. So I'm like, so here I am in my mid forties. Okay. What the hell am I going to do now? Am I going to go, go do this again and put my, my life in the mercy of someone else's hands, knowing that I'm probably going to get fired in a couple of years? Or am I going to take the bull by the horns and do something on my own? So I decided, you know what? I want to go all in on real estate. I know the real estate game. Uh, at least I thought I did back then when I was doing a lot of single family, small multifamily, but I was going to go all in on real estate. So I started looking at the markets. Which market should I go into? Because even then, the same thing applies now as it did back then. It doesn't, this part does not change is you have to select a market, hone in on that one market and become an expert on that market. 
One thing about Cleveland back then, anyway, was that it was largely ignored. Everybody still had this, everybody had this love for Florida and Texas. So just like they do more so today than it did back then. We're talking like five years ago, but it was like Cleveland was largely ignored. Ohio, eh, not so much like parts of like, you know, Columbus and eh, a little bit to some degree, Cincy, you know, Cincinnati, but Cleveland was largely ignored. And I'm like, you know, there's some activity taking place. The, there's still great, great rates, to, great inventory to, to be had at good rental, strong rental prices. I'm going to go to Cleveland. So I pack up all my stuff, fit in all my truck and came to Cleveland. Didn't know a soul, right? <laughs> Didn't know anybody. I just figured this is where it's going to begin. I took a, a part-time or I, I'm sorry, I took a, a temporary job with a local IT company running their technology, right? And I promised myself, this is the last time I'm going to work for anybody ever again. It's gonna, it was a, I created a burn the bridges or burn the ships type of scenario in my mind to say, I'm not doing this after this last job. I'm, I'm going to go all in on real estate. And you have to, like, I made a, a 100% commitment at that point, which is very, it's critical no matter what you do. But I, I, once I got to Cleveland, I understood, started to understand the lay of the land and I made that, that choice that, you know what? After I play out whatever this role is, this company, I'm going to go all in on real estate. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, but part of it, it was trying to read the tea leaves to answer your question. Read the tea leaves, understand that there's still plenty of inventory, largely ignored. No one else is there. There's only like a couple of uh, players back then that were really big, uh, at the time. So it's like there wasn't, it was, it was, nobody was here. So part of it is, is understanding where you can go, where you can still get great deals and not have, and not have a whole ton of competition. I would rather do that than try to go to Houston right now. And try to compete with guys that have been in that market for you know decades, literally decades. Here I am coming from out of town um, and overpaying for stuff. Ridiculous, stupid. And buying what a hundred units? I don't even live there. It's dumb. You know that's why it's like, and you got to make your, you got to put yourself there. And I was willing to do that. I was willing to do that. You know, so and go all in. So now we have like uh, fifteen hundred units in and around Cleveland, very, very focused in and around Cleveland, BNC type of assets, so new development, like you said. I have $100 million of stuff right now that I'm working on uh, that we're closing by the end of the year. And then we also do net lease. We just do single tenant net lease type of assets. We have a fund that goes and acquires these assets. And that's, that's basically national. So all told, we have about $350 million worth of stuff that we're working on, you know, or building or whatever. So we've got a lot of stuff going. You know, I'm shocked because I thought you were going to say the reason you moved to Cleveland is for all the beautiful women. <laughs> there, there are some of those here too. There are some of those here too. There are. There, there really, there actually are. It was obviously intended as a joke. Of course, <laughs> there, there are beautiful women, you know, that Midwest stock, nice and chunky. And, you know, anyway, that's a bad tangent that I, that I'm not going to permit myself to go, go, go on. Um, so here's the question. Where were you before you moved to Cleveland? So I was living in Indianapolis for for uh, for I was working at a job there where I got canned, right? And uh, from there, went to I decided to really focus on real estate. Went to Michigan, sold off some houses there. Went to Virginia, sold off some houses there, and that's when I really decided to get focused and looked at looked at at uh, Cleveland, Ohio, as the place to be. So uh, I was b- bouncing around quite a bit, you know. But at the, before I moved here, yeah, I was living in Virginia, you know, Virginia Beach. I see. Uh, yeah. 
And you're saying sold off houses in Michigan and in Virginia. So that's what you were doing. You were, you were a guy that you started buying houses in some different markets and were you fixing them up and renting them kind of thing? Yeah, that's it. You know, and it, the thing is though, is that that's fine and dandy to get, to get started, I suppose. I don't think it's a prerequisite in my opinion. Uh, I think with the right coaching, the right mentoring and the right mindset, more, more, more importantly than anything else. You, you can, you can just go straight to multifamily, in my opinion. The thing is, though, that many people miss the mark on is that they don't get, they don't come from a position of giving. They're coming from a position of taking right off the bat. Meaning you have some inexperienced guy who will hit you up on LinkedIn and they'll make demands of your time. They literally demand your time and, uh, they have nothing to offer you and. Like any relationship, whether it's a personal relationship or a professional relationship, there's always an exchange of value. And if you're going in without an exchange of value taking place, the chances of you getting a phone call back are slim to none, just how it is, right? Anyway, it's really, uh, I, but I did get started in the single family space, but now I just do, I just do the big commercial stuff, you know? Okay. And so, so when you, you went to Cleveland, you knew that you were going to do big multifamily before you, and then you identified Cleveland as a market and then you moved to Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know what syndication was, man. I had no idea. <laughs> so we syndicate our multifamilies and our developments and then we have a fund that buys the, the single tenant. But it wasn't until I talked to an attorney, a, a, like a, a fairly new friend, a real estate attorney, and I was asking him like, who buys these apartments? Like who, does the bank own them? Like who owns them? It didn't even, even occur to me. How the stuff, how, who owns these things, right? There were no podcasts that were really that popular back then. There was, there were no real books. Like it wasn't really a thing. And I was outside of that circle, right? And he, but he explains to me, he's like, yeah, syndication. I go, what's that? And he explains to me what syndication is like syndicate. If you, if anybody's watched a movie, anybody listening to the show has watched a movie and they know at the beginning of the movie, you say, Universal Studios in cooperation with Sunrise Studios in cooperation with, uh, with Open Door Studios, blah, blah, blah. Well, guess what? All those are syndications. All those people pulled their money together to go make that movie happen. Same thing goes with a building. You know, it's, it's people, people putting, they're pulling their money together and they go and buy an asset. Same concept. I had no idea. Once he explained it to me, I start, I got to work studying and, and understanding how, how to create a syndication who to talk to, what to do, how to do it. And more importantly, raising the money, getting, getting other investors to believe in you and believe in the deal. Once I was able to understand how that part works, I, I got to work on doing that, you know, so, and applying it here in this market, which made total sense to do. Because, uh, like I said, there's still plenty of upside back then to, to still do deals here and still have nice returns for investors. What year did you move to Cleveland? Uh, so that would have been what, 17, 18, something like that. So, so was the market such slash prices such that it was shooting fish in a barrel in terms of being able to, you know, find stuff to buy and have, you know, again, in, in the asset class CB that you were buying and have them and have strong in place cash flow? I think it was more, yeah, it, there were, but the, the, the same rules apply when you're coming to getting in front of a, of a, of a broker, right? If the broker has no reason to talk to you, they will, you will not get the deals. Simple as that. You know, that's one thing that the gurus don't tell, don't tell these, these students that sign up 
you know, they said they spend 30 grand or whatever for their course and whatever. If you cannot present a valuable case to a broker as to why they should pitch you the deal over someone else who's been in the market for five years and closed, closed deal after deal after deal after deal, you're going to, you're, you're already starting off from behind, right? So you have to be able to tell a compelling story. You have to be able to show you've done this before to some extent anyway. And that's what it took. I mean, a lot, a lot of the time was spent at the beginning trying to network and, and really, cause I come, I come into this place with not knowing a single person, right? Starting from zero. And it's, it's hard to do when you're coming into a brand new place, not really knowing who anybody, not knowing who the brokers are, who are the, who are the big brokers in that market? Every single market has, has the one or two top brokers and they're always different. In this market, it's going to be, uh, Collier's and, uh, and Marcus and Millichap. And in, uh, Cincinnati, it is CBRE and, uh, I think, Collier's is probably a second, right? In in Columbus, I think it's uh, it's Marcus and CBRE. So it's all it's all different, right? You, so it's the same pecking order in in terms of in terms of brokers uh, as there are in terms of investors. And understanding those nuances is very very important. If you're trying to talk to a, a low ranking broker, and no offense to the brokers out there, but if you're talking to a broker who's not one of the top brokers in the market. What's the point of doing that? You know, it's ridiculous. It's, you're not going to get the best deals. Anyway, so to answer your question though, back then I was able to buy B and C or mostly C stuff. Um, 30,000 a door rents were 550. As soon as I walk in, I'm able to crank the rents up to 650, almost 700 with the same cost per door, 30,000, 30,000 a door. I mean, you know, as well as I do, that thing cash flows all day long. You know, it's a great deal. Great deal. And you're talking 80% leverage, 80% leverage uh, with, uh, of, I think, a 4% interest rate, IO. That's <laughs> like, it's a beautiful, beautiful deal. Hey, Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the P&L. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305 467 5909. You'll be glad you did. It's still, like you said, it's wide open compared. You didn't say wide open, but I'm going to just, I'm going to use that term wide open compared to Houston, compared to Florida, you know, where you got 30 people climbing all over every deal. But at the same time, you're also describing that there's gridlock in terms of you have some, you know, you've got the key brokers and you've, you know, it's a market where people have been there a long time, this and that. So it's not as easy as walking in. It's not the Wild West per se. Yeah, so, right. It, it, it's still, it's still, you gotta pay your dues and you gotta do certain things. So how did you, like, what were the specific tactics around being able to network in to create relationships with the right, the key brokers? That's a good question. I think that there's, there's ways, there's things that I, looking back, I would have done things differently. Um, it's very different than how other folks might approach it. This is just how I would do it. And the thing is, is that, Small deals, small deals suck. 
They just do. <laughs> they do. They do. And I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or whatever. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at doing the small baby deals. I'm just not, you know, I, I don't want to do them anymore. Someone might be listening saying, you just don't know how to do them. You know what? You're absolutely right. You can have them all day long. Take them. You know, here's the thing. When you're buying a C class, small deal, small deal, 22 units, 24 units, it doesn't take that many mishaps on that small deal for, for you to lose your entire NOI, right? If you have a busted up boiler, you have of the roof that, that, that comes off, or you have to replace the roof or whatever, uh, or some other type of mishap that I can't even think of, like blown out water tanks, God knows what. Uh, and some of these assets, a water tank might cost fifteen, sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars. So you have that plus a plus a boiler that goes out. You just lost your NOI on a twenty-four unit deal, really. You know, if your if your NOI is like forty, forty-five k, your NOI suffers, right? And those small deals cannot withstand the the abuse, so to speak, of uh, of of the age that it has to go up against, right? That's really what it comes down to. So basically, what I what I did, what I made the mistake of doing, I shouldn't say mistake. It just had to. It had to do it. You kind of have to. The only way you get started is you have to get into the small deals first. I would. I should have sold those deals off sooner than later. Is what I should have done. You know, because I'm not good at doing the small deals. And not everyone is. Some people are good. I have friends of mine that are that all they do is small deals and they love doing small deals. And that's that's their bag. They got a handle on it. They have teams that know how to do it. Super. They have systems, they have processes, they know how to do it. Great. I can't do that. I like doing bigger deals, right? And that's the key is understanding what you want to do. I wanted to, I wanted to get to a billion dollars of assets. I can't do that 24 units at a time. Just can't do it, right? What I could have done and should have done is get into those deals, buy them, fix them up, make them great, cash flow them, get rid of them, go to the next one. Right. Because what I'm doing then is I'm building a track record and I can, and when I talk to a broker, the broker asks me, what sort of deals have you done? I can tell them, here's a deal as I've done. They're like, Oh, okay, cool. You know, so it's like, it all starts with one, you know, and the same thing happens. It's funny with, with our net lease business. You know, they'll, they'll ask, uh, they ask when we were first starting that deal, uh, even though I've done at that point, like $200 million worth of stuff, they still ask, well, how many net lease assets do you have? Well, we're closing on a couple right now. It's like, okay, whatever. It's like, even, it doesn't matter. We've done 200 million of, of commercial assets. They don't care. It's how many of these dollar stores have you bought, which is kind of bizarre, right? But regardless, the brokers want to see that you've done this before. They want to see that. And for someone starting out, listen, even if you have to buy six units, just get started. Do something. Just don't. Just don't. Don't overstay your welcome. Get in. Get out. That's what I would do anyway. Some people can do those deals and be fine with it. Are, are you saying then, uh, Augustino, that that's basically what you did? Is is via the smaller deals? Eventually, you yeah. you built up some credibility and some relationships with that's, some brokers. You just you just would have gone faster, is what I'm hearing you say. Maybe. I, I think I would have gone faster. I would have got in and out faster too. Yeah. Got yeah, it. Yeah. When you say we, who's the we? Do you have partners or a partner? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I always do this with partners. Um, I have partners for just about everything I do, actually. So doing, and I think that's another thing that many, many people get wrong is that they want, they get very greedy, right? They get very greedy. And I'm sure, and I'm sure your listeners have heard the whole thing. Real estate is a team sport. It's, it's true. 
it is a team sport. You know, if you're working with a good, competent partner who's there with you, actually side by side, like fighting with you, so to speak, right? It's it's definitely worth its weight in gold because there's certain things that you're going to miss that they're going to pick up, and vice versa. You're not going to ca- you're you're going you're maybe you're going to catch something and they didn't see it, right? Um, when you're when you're, the more assets that you're managing, the more stuff that can go sideways, and you need you need help managing this stuff. You really do, and um, maybe maybe you have the ability to you're, you're a strong operator, but you don't have any money. Maybe you have a ton of money. And you have a great balance sheet, but you, you, you want to get into real estate, but you don't know, you don't want to get your hands dirty. Uh, maybe you're great at finding deals, but you have neither one of those other two things I just mentioned. Uh, you know, it's like, it's always, it's always a team. Very rarely is there's one guy that could do everything and run it all successfully. It's very, very rare, right? So there, if you're, it, that's the thing. It all depends on what the per individual wants to do. If they want to have a hundred units, uh, they could probably buy a hundred units over some length of time and be perfectly fine and, and have, you know what, you own the whole thing by yourself. You can be very, you can have a very nice, comfortable life and, and still build wealth for your family and still have cash flow and still do everything you want to do. If you want to get to a billion dollars, however, you're going to need partners. Every single book I've read is the same, says the same thing. Sam Zells had, 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 has some great partners and that's what helped him become a billionaire, right? Did you, you said talk about like the big, the gurus. Did you ever buy into a guru in, in, in a program and pay the 30 grand and do all that kind of stuff? Do you have mentors? <laughs> I, I've never done it. I never did it. I, I, cause I, I, I didn't even know that it was a thing, honestly. You know, that's, that's really what it was. But what I did was it, it's, if you want success bad enough that you can't, it's, it's more important than breathing, you will find a way to get your hands on the information. Right. And that was the mentality that I had because I did not want to do corporate life anymore. So at the time, when I went, when I decided to go all in on real estate and really hone my skills, I was able to find, uh, you know, Carlton Sheets. Remember him? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Late I found an old, pro- I found an old program from the seventies. I started there. I, st- I literally downloaded the program hit play and was painting walls and shit. Like this is what I was doing before, before I made the move to Cleveland. Right. And I mean, that's the level of training I put myself through like day in, day out, like working on a duplex uh, to try to get rid of it, to try to sell it off and studying and training like crazy. Right. That's all the guru stuff I did. I mean, I just listened to training program after training program after training program, single family, multifamily. That's all I was focused on, right? No development at the time. Um, I, I was focused 100% on doing real estate, like acquisition and um, using creative strategies, which are now, by the way, the, the really cool thing is that all that stuff I learned from Carlton Sheets six, seven years ago, I'm flying today because the rates are just so out of whack, right? So it never goes to waste. But yeah, I never, I never did. It's not because I've anything against the gurus or anything else like that. It's more along the lines of I didn't even know it was a thing. I had no idea. I, I just, I just figured I'm just going to get to work and and just and just study. One of the things that I did and I still continue to do is I listen to a lot of a lot of books, audio books. I just listen to audio books as opposed to read read hard copies. So I'm very good at 
just sitting down and listening for hours on end, absorbing the information and be able to to get it out again. So I'm, um, that's one of my strengths. I, I learned that from from my college days. So I'm very lucky in that regard. Not everybody can do that. Not everyone can do that, though. On your portfolio now on the multifamily, how do you how do you deal with the management? Do you do it uh, in house or do you have some third party people you use? It's I would say it's pseudo in house, right? So my partner, he's part owner of a management company, right? So even though it's an outside outside management company, he has a control. He has a forty nine percent stake in that management company. I wouldn't even say controlling interest, but he's got a lot of influence, right? So. I guess you could say that it's it's somewhat in-house if you think about it, right? Because my partner has access. So it's kind of like by me calling up the the, the, the property manager, whenever I call up the property manager, they answer your phone call, right? That's a big part of it too, which I know we talked we touched on this earlier about buying out of state and buying in different locations. It's finding to your point, finding management is a real, real thing. If you don't have good property management, you're going to be in a whole world of hurt. All these gurus, all the guys on social media talk about buying your first deal. Hurry up and buy your first deal. Hurry up and buy your first deal. You know what? Buying your deal is easy compared to running it for 10 years profitably. That's hard. That's very, very hard. And you better have a good team that's running the asset because if you don't, you're going to, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And part of that is if you, if you can call a property manager and they actually answer your phone call, you're, you're already, you're already in, in a good position, right? That's, that's already great because you know, as well as I do, they're, they're, it's like, if they, if they stop answering your phone call, some shit's broken and they don't want to talk to you about it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you've seen that movie. Um, <laughs> yes. How are you financing these deals or how have you been financing these deals? So when it comes to stabilized stuff, uh, the last deal we did, we did a bridge. We don't. We, I've not bought any stabilized stuff in, in a little while now. Uh, it's probably been close to a year at this point. Uh, now the focus is largely on on development and net lease. So it doesn't make any sense to buy stabilized stuff where it's at. Right, in my opinion, I I I, I can't make sense of it personally because the asking prices that these people are demanding it just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, but when it comes to development, I'm still getting, I can get better rates on the, my development projects than I can with, with stabilized. And I also get, you get a 15 year tax abatement, depending on where you're buying or building rather, depending on where you're building in here in Cleveland anyway, 15 year tax abatement and, and opportunity zone, right? So you get to defer all those taxes. So for, for the investors, that's huge, right? If I could do that, Versus trying to buy an asset, stabilize it, all that fun stuff, uh, and and then deal with the city. I don't want to do all that. Why well, do all that? I just go build it brand new. It's a brand new asset. It's gonna be it's gonna be great cash flow, great tenants that want to live there. And they pay top rents. Why not do that? And you still get great financing. Great financing too. On the net lease business, um, we have some preferred lenders that really like us. We're getting like thirty year AMS on some of this stuff with decent rates on, and these are corporate guaranteed assets, right? So what we're doing is we're buying Dollar General, Dollar Tree, we're using a fund to, to acquire them. And the cool thing is that it's a monthly return. It's a monthly return. This is, this is key to note here, right? Because it's, it's, it's not quarterly like multifamily, right? And you know as well as I do, if you've done enough of these deals, you know that the quarterly return is not always 
doesn't, it's not, it's not predictable. It's, it'll show up this quarter at some point. The old, all the returns that are talked about are annualized. All right. So maybe it's low quarter one, but quarter two, it goes up, right? On net lease, it's a monthly return, very, very predictable with a corporate guarantee backing up the lease and you own the real estate. I mean, how do you not do that deal? Is that fund all dollar uh, tree and dollar general? It's, do- it, it's dollar tree, dollar general, advanced auto parts, um, like uh, anything that's corporate or franchisee. Uh, okay, so it's it. not just those. Not, okay. I use Dollar Tree as an example because right, okay. it's, it's the one that most people know, right? But it's but the point is, is that when there's a corporate backer behind those deals and you get a, a monthly check, they can actually bet on it showing up. I mean, how, I mean, it's a risk adjusted return, mind you, right? It's a risk adjusted return. It's not the same, like, not to, it's not going to be the same juice as you get on a development, for instance, right? But it's like, but you could put money in this month and get a check next month, conceivably, right? I mean, that's how that's how those things work. So it's a different type of deal, right? And people, if you want cash flow, that's what you do, right? Where where, where are these? And and what's the? Uh, there's a term for this that is escaping me. But what's the average uh, amount of time left left on the leases on these that you're acquiring? Oh, sure. No, it's a good question. So uh, mostly red states, mostly um, mostly areas that are favorable to. Oh, I'll just leave it at that. Mostly red states. Uh, we, we try to stay away from the blue states unless there's a compelling reason to do a to do a deal there. And I, I don't want. I'm not turning into a political scenario or anything else like that. It's typically red states have a lower tax base for the most part. And if it's lower tax base, the company that's that lives at that location makes more money. The more opt to stay there, right? Uh, that's what we're going to focus on on renewals. So um, depending on the deal. We look at the area, right? We do consider the area and the strength of the area. So sometimes the lease might have three, five years left on it. But if we're fairly certain that the that the, the location is going to stick around for a long period of time, that they're going to stay there, and we, you, we use a lot of data sources for that. We look at how, how, how busy is the location. Uh, is it on a hard corner or not? What is, how much foot traffic is, it, is going in and out of that store, right? So we have, we have access to data that tells us uh, it doesn't tell us how much money they're spending or how much money they're making, but it does tell us that this store has 100,000 visits per month. It's a strong location. That means they're going to be around. That means the chances of them renewing that uh, Dollar Tree, renewing that location um, when, when the lease comes up is going to be great. It also allows us to negotiate better terms down the road too, right? When it comes up for a renewal, you can say, okay, listen, um, you know, they, they come up with some low ball number. You can say, I already know you're getting this amount of foot traffic here. You don't want to lose this deal. So <laughs> you, you can determine, hey, X amount of people go into that store, yeah. Which, but you don't necessarily have access to their sales. What Correct. even if it's a public? I, I would imagine most of these, if not all of them, are public companies. So you you can't get store level sales. No, no, no. They they have to want to disclose that, and sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's it's just how they feel that day, you know. Unfortunately, but but yeah, you're right though. I mean, it's publicly traded. These are most of them are publicly traded. Uh, but Aldi, for instance, is not publicly traded, but there's a corporate guarantee. Is Aldi going to go out of business tomorrow? Probably not. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I, I'm, I'm fine doing those types of deals too, you know? How do you know how many people go into a store? Uh, they use um, this cell phone data. 
Most okay. Uh, you know, these things, these devices here have GPSs built in, right? And um, you have to know where to buy that data and get access to it, of course. Uh, and then, of course, breaking down that data, you have to be able to do that. Um, we also use some advanced analytics to also pull in other data sources, like how much money is uh, similar to multifamily, right? In a one mile, five mile, ten mile radius. Uh, how, what is the average income? What is the education level? All that will have a bearing on, on the strength of that location, right? So, uh, we also mend that in with, with how busy the traffic is, right? So certainly if you're, if you're here in Cleveland, you know, that's, I don't know if you've been to the steel yard. Have you been to the steel, the steel yard? I'm actually, I'm not, I, I'm actually on the West coast. I just was from Cleveland. I grew up in Cleveland. So there, there's a place now called the steel yard. Uh, I probably wasn't here when you used to live here. It's a fairly newer, a newer, um, I guess you want to call it like an outside mall type scenario, right? And uh, it's 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 really really it's a nice area. I would say that the average income in a one mile radius is probably ninety thousand a year, right? So it tells you the affluence of that area. The people that will visit is going to be greater, and they're going to spend more money as opposed to. A dollar general in, in in a very poor part of a city, for instance, right? So that those are the types of things that we consider when we're when our, when we underwrite those types of deals, right? We do the same thing on developments, but on on uh, net lease, <laughs> it's 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 a whole different animal. Like we we use a lot of tech, we build a lot of our own tech to analyze that stuff. Because so it's, in, in the last number of years, it's like every asset class, unless it's like hospitality or, you know, office, right? I mean, the ones that got killed because of COVID just been torrid and, and, and you know, cap rates have plummeted and, and whatever. And, you know, arguably we might see a reversal of that. But like triple net stuff is is not been uh, exactly a secret. So what kind of cap rates are you getting and uh, what kind of you know, yield is it throwing off? I mean, it sounds like a great deal for an investor. I mean, to, to have that, you know, it's predictable as all get out. And, and, and in a fund, you have enough assets that even if somebody doesn't renew that you didn't anticipate, I guess if it's a good enough property, you should be able to fill it, blah, blah, blah. But what are, what's in, just give me numbers, generally cap rates and returns and all that stuff. Sure. Well, I think that first off the term triple net, uh, let's talk about that for a second. That term triple net has largely been watered down, believe it or not, right? So the, the, it's funny because when I was outside of the whole net lease business, er, I, everybody referred to that Dollar Tree over there as triple net. However, it might say, they might call it triple net, but in the lease, it's actually a double net, maybe even a single net, right? <laughs> Your nets, you have those three nets, you have maintenance, insurance, and taxes, right? Um, it varies. It could vary. Right. So the thing is, is that, um, we have to be careful when we blanket, like what type of net it is. Right. So, and that's why, that's why the reason I'm saying that is because it gets very, very tricky for someone that says, well, I'm just going to go do my own myself. You can go ahead and try it. Go nuts. Right. We literally look at a thousand deals easily before we find one that may make sense. I mean, we look at a lot of stuff, right? We have to. A lot of the stuff is mispriced. Right. A lot of the stuff that they, they, they're dreaming. A lot of the stuff that we look at, um, it's not in lockstep with, with, with the, with the lending is, is, uh, is ha- what's happening in the lending world. Right. So to your point, the, the, the cap rates change. And I, I very rarely talk about cap rates when it comes to multifamily because it's, I think it's stupid. 
right? To say, oh, I bought this property at a 10 cap. Look how great I am, a multifamily property. It's like, no, that just tells me you bought a crappy property in a high risk location is what you just told me. Right. Because, because it's like, if it's like, if it's a 10 cap, you run away from that deal because probably in, in a, in a, in a war zone and they're going to, you're going to go show up and all the copper's gone. Right. Let's get real here. When a net lease back, like say five years ago, you could have bought a nice dollar general, uh, fairly new with 10 years left in a lease for eight like cap. an eight, eight cap all day long. All day long. Now we've seen cap rate compression because a lot of these this investor money is trying to find a home, right? Right. And um, it, it varies though. These days we're finding them in the sixes. Sometimes we get them in the sevens. Sometimes we can even get them in the high sevens, which is great too. But again, you know, it's it depends on what it says in the lease. You'd be surprised at some of the things it says in the lease. You know, it's like the lease may specify. I'll give an example. There's a deal we just did recently. Um, it'll say that the maintenance, the tenant is responsible for all maintenance of the air conditioning units. But what doesn't it say? It does not say they're responsible for the replacement, just the maintenance, right? So if they don't maintain the AC unit and the AC unit dies, who gets stuck with the bill, <laughs> right? Yeah, you, you do. So, and those are the types of nuances that you have to watch out for, right? And is that, is that, and, and let's say it is a triple net. Let's call it, it's, it's a triple net. Is that, is that really triple net? Is it really triple net? You know, it's like, well, no, it's not. It's not totally hands off. So these are the types of things that us as fund managers have to watch out for, understand the risks, make sure we put enough money aside in reserves to watch out for those different types of things, right? And I mean, hey, listen, it might make sense, but, it's also a negotiating point. You say, hey, listen, guy, I'm not sure if you saw this, but it says right here in the lease, this is really what it is. They're like, either they knew about it or did not know about it, but you negotiate from that. Everything's got a price. You just have to adjust, adjust wherever the risk level is, right? But, but for the most part, all things being equal, yeah, it's largely a cap rate play, right? So um, if you're looking at a bunch of dollar generals, uh, and Dollar Trees and Advanced Auto Parts or whatever, to your point, yes, we're buying them as a, in a fund. We're buying like 8, 10, 12 or more of these assets in one single fund. And if this Dollar Tree goes dark for whatever reason, it's okay. The other ones are still returning a check to the investor pool. And then we just go ahead and now get get to work replacing this tenant with something else, right? Maybe we, we replace a tenant and then sell it off. And then that money comes back home and then goes gets distributed again, right? When when did you start the fund? Uh, we we only started it last year, so it's okay. still fairly new. It's still fairly new, but we have a very good oper- understanding of operations of how to put these things together. Just because I have buddies of mine that've been doing it for years, so um, I, you can, I'm, I'm not new to it. Will it be in a certain circumference from Cleveland per se? In other words, will it be a hundred, couple hundred miles Midwest? Do you envision it? Secondary markets, tertiary markets, or yeah, uh, we we largely look at um, secondary, tertiary. We find um, that's one thing that we don't do in a multifamily that we do on, on this kind of stuff. Secondary, tertiary markets are okay. Um, it's, we're trying to find stuff that's fairly Amazon proof or Walmart proof, right? And uh, we're also looking. I, I like. I like places uh, south of the Dixie, the Mason Dixon line, right? Because the winter is going to be a little more mild, and you have to worry about the the asset getting beat up by the weather, 
right? Because you spent time here in Cleveland, you know that these properties, when they're outside, you have the heat, you have snow, you have these big trucks, you have salt, you have all this stuff that eats up the asphalt, that beats up the building. Um, I'm not saying we don't do those deals. We certainly will. Again, we, we adjust for the risk associated with buying those assets, right? Uh, if you're down south, it's, I mean, it takes, it takes heat, of course, but very rarely does the asphalt get all beat up. You don't have to replace it every, every three years because of the weather, right? So it, it really just depends. But largely, yeah, we like to target places that have fairly nice weather just because, like I said, the asset itself is not taking a beating, you know? You're doing a number of different things, uh, which is impressive because you've done a lot of things in a short period of time. I mean, 2017 is only five years. I mean, that's nothing. That's impressive. I guess if you uh, if you were to think about it, what do you envision? You know, your your situation looking like five years from now. It's going to be largely development at this point, development and net lease, really. I'm not saying that we're not going to do any any acquisitions, but we're going to be a lot more selective when it comes to acquisitions, mostly A's and B's. And just because I, it has to do with more of a shift when it comes to the how government is really stepping in and um, and really... Again, I don't want to turn this to a political podcast here. Uh, the government's really stepping in on some of the workforce and some of the and some of the even subsidized type of housing plays, and it's becoming a little harder and harder to run those types of properties to operate them effectively. And if you have to dance around whatever the government's saying, it becomes very hard to deal with the the nuances of of a property in terms of maintaining it and getting, of course, just getting paid right. So. Uh, we're going to be very selective when it comes to that, uh, the acquisition of the stabilized type of assets. Uh, it's got to be, the juice has got to be worth the squeeze, but development, absolutely, 100%. We're all in on development. Um, we're trying to be very selective again when it comes to developments. We have, like I said, we've got $100 million of stuff that we're closing right now. It's either closing or closed. Um, so by the end of the year. And, uh, and net lease. I mean, I love the net lease business that you can't beat the monthly cash flow. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you beat that? You know, <laughs> it's, it's super. It's super. Is the, it's the fund you said you started last year, but I guess you could, you're still distributing right out of the gate pretty much as you acquire. What is the yield for the investors? So the yield, and I got to be careful because I got to worry about disclosures and stuff, right? But uh, generally speaking, you know, it's a, it's a seven to ten percent return. So it's, that's what we put out there whenever we're talking to people, right? Um, more more the ten than the seven. So and that's cash on cash, right? So we don't pull any tricks or anything else like that. Uh, we don't charge any any type of crazy fees or anything else like that either. So unlike some of the other funds, they're charging fees, they're charging all this other stuff. Our big value prop, whether it's development, acquisition, or net lease is that we don't charge all kinds of crazy acquisition fees. We just don't do it. It's not there, right? And that's a big part of it, right? Our our objective is is aligned with the investors. So it's very different than some guy buying an A-class asset down in Florida for 400k a door where the rents are 1200 bucks a month and they're they're pushing this thing and they're convincing people to invest in those deals. Well, when they close the deal, that syndicator takes home a big fat check, right? Because they have to get, they have, they need that check to keep the doors open and to buy, to, you know, put to, put the, uh, fuel in their jet. Where in our case, if I don't like the deal, I don't do the deal. That's it. 
you know, and, and because here's the thing, even though I'm not taking an acquisition fee, I am signing up for the debt, right? And you, you know as well as I do, even though something, even though the, the bank says, oh, it's non-recourse, you try not paying on a loan. You'll see if you get a phone call from the bank. Let me know how that works out for you. Someone's coming mm-hmm. to your door <laughs> and knocking on your door saying, hey, <laughs> where are you at? You got a payment for me or what? You know, someone always shows up. <laughs> it's funny, fun, funny how that works. <laughs> what, what, what is the cost? Uh, and, and we're coming up on an hour, my friend. This has been entertaining to say the least. What, what is the cost per square foot to build uh, in Cleveland and in, 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 in where you're doing it? Um, yeah, see, and that largely depends on cost of land and things like that. Yeah. I, well, I, I like to price it on a, on a, on a per unit basis, right? And that chain, that varies too, right? But it's usually 220, 220,000 a unit to build. Here's the thing. It's 220 a unit, but then you have a, you have a 15 year tax abatement right. and you get OZ, right? So it's kind of like, I'm trying to keep it in that sweet spot there. And this is for, I would say it's, it's for a nice, very nice apartment. Like we're talking eight, seven to eight hundred square feet. Uh, nice amenities. Um, you know, it isn't like a strip. It's a stripped down spot. I mean, it's going to be nice with like you know, uh, great, plenty of parking. You know, all that fun stuff. Like a nice, I would say B plus, A minus type scenario, right? So, and we're getting um, and we get pro like there's some really pros, some really good pros that, that are building this stuff. It isn't like we go with like the cheapest guy in town to build the asset and throw it together. Like we actually have quality developers or quality builders rather that we work with. So it isn't like uh, garbage type of finishes. You know, these are nice finishes too, right? Do you have to allocate a certain number of them for uh, affordable housing or or no? Where you have to- it depends. Yeah, that depends. That depends, right? That depends on, on uh, if we're using land bank land, if... Uh, what sort of tax credit you get? It depends, right? That's that's the thing. I mean, uh, with Rockefeller, we did not have to worry about that, but with some of these other deals that we've done, that we've done recently, we did. Right? Depends on the city. Depends on the permitting. And that's that's one of the tricky parts when it comes to putting these deals together. Right? Is is understanding some of those nuances. But you're absolutely right. And the thing is, though, affordable housing too. What does affordable mean? You're right. What does affordable mean? And that's that's where people get hung up. They they, they think of affordable as immediately being a a low uh, a, like you know, a tenant that can't pay a lot of money, six hundred bucks a month. It does not. It's not what affordable means. Affordable means what is the median for that area? If the median right. for that area is fourteen hundred bucks a month, this is not low income. It's affordable housing. It's two different things. Right. So, uh, it's important to pay attention and listen to, uh, other, other syndicators, just like me that are pitching deals. When they say there's an affordable component to the home or to the property, rather, um, just be aware of what that means. That's all. Got it. Well, uh, look, uh, you're never, you've achieved your number one goal. You're never going to get fired again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) What you've done. Is miraculous uh, in such a short period of time. My hat's off to you. So the question is, how does one get a hold of you if they want to engage uh, in a conversation, find out more about what you're doing? I know you have your own podcast. How do they do that? Sure, bulletproofcashflow.com. Just go there. Uh, we have um, you sign up for our our different newsletters. We have we have all kinds of great stuff out there too, free downloads, all kinds of stuff like that. So yeah, have a, have your audience check that out. Got it. Uh, what's the website? 
bulletproofcashflow.com. Oh, and, we're okay. all, oh. and we're all social media too. So if you go, if you just type in bulletproof cash flow, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, we're everywhere. Everywhere. Okay. So it's more than just a podcast, is what you're oh, telling yeah. me. Oh, yeah. 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 It's yeah. a way of life. all right man Augustino thank you very very much and uh, I I look forward to doing this again with you you bet man you bet good talk talk to you soon all right